What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream episode 91. Today, we're going to have a, the founder of a single track mind on, which is a uh, skills clinic that uh, is run here in Northern California. But before that, we'll do the we'll do the beginning of the show particulars. So, first things first. If you guys haven't followed me on Instagram, please do that. I like watching the number count like the follower account grow. And if you're not an Instagram person, then then go over to Facebook and do the same thing there, the at biker B1 or B1KERB1. There's uh, always extra pictures up there, kind of little extra things going on, talking about whenever I'm gonna travel sometimes or this and that and the other. It's good stuff and it helps the channel grow. And whenever I'm talking to different companies about sponsorships or something like that, they like to see all those numbers and um, those are just as important as hitting subscribe here. If you haven't subscribed, definitely do that. And um, even for you podcast listeners, you can subscribe to the podcast too. I think that shows something. I don't know. I don't know anything about pod podcast like statistics or the way that they're really ranked. I just know YouTube. And, uh, and then I do this podcast and somehow or another, things are coming along well. You guys that have written reviews over there, thank you very much. I haven't seen one in a while, so if you've been thinking about swinging by the Apple podcast and writing a review, that would be rad because um, those definitely do something. And the more positive reviews there are over there, the more that it comes up on a list whenever somebody's trying to look for an MTB mount, uh, like podcast, and uh, that, that helps. So. If you guys really would like to help the channel out and um, and uh, a guy in his mid 40s trying to quit his job, go over to Patreon. You can drop a buck over there and uh, just help out. It's like a tip jar or you could uh, do $5, get a sticker pack. And then I have you, have, you can actually just contribute whatever you want. Like you could do like $6.27 if you want in a month. It doesn't even matter. One way or another, that stuff does help the channel a lot. And I appreciate everybody that's over there. I've been trying to make um, exclusive content just for the Patreon people. So I recorded one uh, yesterday, actually, because it's a trail system that, I don't know, people get all triggered if you make a YouTube video about it. So I uh, made, made something that only people on Patreon get to see. So you have to join that $5 tier for that, though. Anyways... I'm going to move on from that. Oh, one more thing too. You know, it's been kind of sporadic the last few weeks on the, on the podcast. Some weeks it's on, some weeks it's not, not. I've had like stuff where it's like, you know, the kids graduating from high school or supposed to do this trip with the lady and this and this and this. And next weekend I'm actually heading up the bend. So um, if you guys are in the bend area, maybe we'll see each other out on the trail, but nonetheless, I'm not coming. I'm not going to be able to do a podcast next weekend. At least I don't think I'm going to. Maybe I could talk. I'm going to be up there hanging out with project three, two, one. Maybe I could talk Jake into actually getting on. That'd be, that would be interesting. I'm going to take my stuff just in case. We'll see if we can, we, we'll see if we can talk him into it. Anyways, more than likely, probably not going to happen. So after that, though, we should uh, we should be going strong. So, anyways, let's go ahead and and bring Dylan on here from a single track mine. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you today? Sweet, dude. Just like I said a minute ago, man. Just down here sweating. My uh, studio is in the garage, which is also not air conditioned. So um, I need like. 657 more people on patreon before i can get air conditioning out here so. 
How's uh how so what were you up to today? Uh ran a two-day clinic up in Truckee today. We just wrapped up uh four o'clock. Um ran out of the ran out, came back here, changed yeah. up real quick, and uh sat down. So a two-day clinic. What 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 did you guys go over? We went over uh fundamentals. So most of my clinics are running fundamental skills into progressions on second day. So starting out with what uh what a lot of people feel like are basics, um, uh-huh. but starting out with basic body position stuff, moving into progressions of slow speed handling, things like that, conscientious mm-hmm. breaking points. And then day two is uh, wheel lifts and then moving into high speed cornering and then getting out on the trail on both days for at least an hour and a half, two hours, depending. Uh, we spent a little less time out on trail today just so that we weren't totally sweating. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. You said it was ninety in Truckee. That's pretty high yeah. for Truckee too. So it's probably probably lower. That was the hood of the car, you know. So yeah, yeah. But they the forecast said eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. It's still pretty warm for up there. I know. Uh, like I said yesterday, I was riding down in UC, and it was we got there, and it was like sixty five. I was like, oh my god, this is so awesome. <laughs> it was pretty yeah, warm by the end of the day, but it was uh, not bad at all. So are all your clinics, um, do they, they range in like skill level from like the beginners, kind of what you were just talking about, or do you see like a lot of intermediate advanced people in the, that class that you just gave? Uh, you see, you see a pretty broad spectrum. Predominantly yeah. what you're looking at it is, is the, uh, the average is just somebody who wants a shortcut uh-huh. who doesn't want to spend two years trying to learn how to ride a bike. Um, yeah. or the average is people who've ridden 20 years and they're like, Oh, coaching. I've never thought about taking a mountain bike lesson. Let's see what's yeah. going on. Um, I'm in that group. I should, I should take a class. I really should. I keep telling myself I'm going to, and I'm like, I've been riding since the nineties. I don't need a class, you know? Yeah. And then one of my friends tells me something and I'm like, Holy shit, maybe I do need a class. That sounds. <laughs> yep. So yeah, what it's, guy... uh, go ahead. You, it, it's, it's surprising how many sort of uh, opinions there are out there on what's, what's supposed to be done and how many people give you great in their eyes, great trail tips. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do this and you'll be, you'll be totally fine. Right. Um, so I, I try to demystify some of that shit basically. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine there's, I, I would, uh, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Like I know what like kind of comments and stuff I get from people on YouTube and most of them, you know, are, you know, 98% of them are great. And then there's like 2% of them where you're like, what, you know, like, and so I can imagine for you, it's kind of like, here's these people paying you to come and get some clinic. And then they probably like, there's probably every once in a while, some guy that's like still trying to tell you how to do it. It's, it's rare. I've only had a couple, a couple times, like even I've been coaching basically for 10 plus years. Um, and so it's, uh, I've seen, I've seen a fair amount of them. Um, but, uh, I've only had one that like stuck out where I was like, well, that guy was kind of like, that was a piece of work. And, uh, (laughs) he showed up, he showed up and then his bike falls apart and I was like, oh, I got to fix this. I fixed his bike. And then he's like, no, I think what you're trying to say is, and I'm like, Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he's like, you know, what? I, I want a refund. And I'm like, whatever, dude. Like, oh, Lord. Fine. I don't care. Like I fixed your bike and then. Yeah. So yeah, that's but, classic. I want a refund yeah. <laughs> after he listened to everything you said. Yeah. That yeah. was, that was when I was working three day camps though. So 
That was uh -huh. a lot. So, um, well, I don't even know, like, what qualifies you as a as a as an instructor, man. What's your uh, background? I just say I'm an instructor. No, huh? I. <laughs> I don't know what the, what do you what do you call yourself? Not an instructor. No, I do. I, it's mountain bike skills coaching, basically a coach. Um, oh, okay. Instructors. I, I use the wrong vernacular. I'm I'm horrible no, at that anyway. It's all good. No, I, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, you think like ski instructors is like that's right? sort of where it comes from. A tennis instructor. You right. know, it's, it's rare that they're called coaches. Most of the time, a coach is like a trainer. Um, yeah, but, I think like life coach or something. I'm like, oh man, yeah. I don't need to talk to one of those. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, I, I started riding in 89. Um, uh -huh. I grew up on mountain bikes. I bought my first mountain bike from the cove in Sausalito. Well, actually, my parents yeah, bought it for me and put it under the tree for Christmas. Right, so, right, right. yeah. And I, li I lived on a dirt road yeah. and just rode the bike to my buddy's house and rode to my buddy's house and rode to my buddy's house and wherever, you know. And so any, any ride I did was a mountain bike ride because I wasn't riding on the pavement. Yeah. I never, I never grew up you know, in urban settings. So like all the urban stuff that came out, like BMX or flatlandy manual stuff and all that, I was like, what, well, who does yeah. that? You know, I'm a mountain biker, I don't do that. And then I realized I'm like, oh, that stuff's kind of cool. So that's yeah. sort of my progression now is learning those things, but. Right on, so yeah. just a long time of doing it. Well, to go further, yes, I, if you want, I'll give you a whole history. I started, yeah. I started racing in early nineties probably um back in the days of cross country mm -hmm. uh, i grew up racing nordic skiing running cross country in high school and everything and then downhill just was getting started and uh probably like 92 93 was like my first downhill race and that mm -hmm. was the old oroville downhill mm -hmm. i remember showing up in full spandex and high posting uh and there is you know the early downhill vibe culture there the guys in you know baggies and full faces and uh you know full suspension bikes and things and they're like you got to drop your post and i was like why i never drop it anyways like and like i don't even remember what i placed at that point in time i probably ate shit and fell off the course and was that bloody, <laughs> you know on the side of the trail but uh yeah i up until 94 on and off and then i started racing 94 doing like state championships um yeah. california state championship stuff and then after that like early nationals would have been like 98 99 uh -huh. And I was riding a Carpiel, one of the bikes that old Jan Carpiel built in uh, in Reno. All right. And uh, moved to moved to Tahoe, and used to do the old um, old downhill series up here, the North Star series, and all the national stuff. So rolling into Big Bear, uh, you know, um, Deer Valley, Mammoth when they had those, right and on. then Bonner Ski Ranch racing with like Tim Krentz and Carl Rogney. Uh, all the grommets, their Cam Zink, Cam McCall, Tyler McCall, and you know all those guys were racing uh, Junior X at that point in time. Uh, right yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then ran around for a while. I've, I've ridden bikes for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's funny what you said about you know back whenever you first started. I remember I'm from Pennsylvania originally, mm -hmm. and um, there's like woods everywhere, you know. And so like even when you rode BMX, like let's just call it street, you would still be like taking these like, for lack of a better term, and just be like shortcuts, but they would be dirt road, like dirt single track trails that like skirt through this forest, you know, and maybe down this hill and people would build jumps on them and stuff like that. And it was like, I, 
I that's where I, where I started, you know. So it was like you were on a BMX bike, but we were in the dirt, like on the dirt a lot, you know. And then um, somewhere along the line, my my mom was dating this guy and bought me a, a mountain bike, and it was kind of similar. And then it was like, oh, there's this whole other like way to do it. And uh, I would like ride with these guys that were like 35, 40 on the weekends, and then during the week it would just be like ride around town and raising hell, knocking over trash cans and shit, right? You know. <laughs> exactly what you're supposed to do right at that age right right yeah so so what at what point did you decide you were like i'm gonna be a coach now i got the word right <laughs> yeah. uh i raced up until norba basically got bought out and then i kind of backed off because racing basically went to being sucky again and it sort of fell apart at that point practice mm -hmm. time sucked and then it kind of burned me out on the sport and i kind of a couple years there was like out of it and then i came back after getting married in uh, 07, 06, 07. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like, God, riding bikes are really fun. Like I saw the World Cup in Vigo in 07, mm -hmm. uh, which was awesome. And then kind of got into just trying to do something different, got into wrenching professionally, took a UBI uh -huh. class, and then took a camp with, uh, with uh, Gene Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And the co-coach was uh, Greg Menard. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, definitely have. <laughs> And so I was like, man, I, coaching would be really cool. And I kind of did it just to see like how he coached. And I was like, you know, I was like, I'm a good writer. I've raced pro and whatever. And so uh -huh. I went there and then I realized that I didn't know shit and wished I had taken a lesson sooner so that I could have been faster earlier uh, and safer. Yeah. And then he offered me a, a job. Basically, he was like, I'll train you if you want to be one of my coaches. And uh -huh. so I took a training training course from him in 2009 and then started really coaching for him like winter, like like just winter 2009 into 2010 and then worked for him up until like basically 2015. Oh, wow. And uh, I got to travel all over the place coaching. I coached in Bellingham to Phoenix to Pennsylvania to yeah, Virginia, yeah. Detroit, Michigan to Austin, Texas. Wow. So, yeah, San Diego. Yeah, pretty much. So pretty what, much all what was the thing? So what was the thing that really like made you decide to to do that? Just taking that class the first time or I, I sort of like fell in love with the process. I kind of wanted to coach because I felt like I was never going to be a great. I wasn't going to be a pro anymore. I wasn't going to yeah. be the like, races. And I was like, I've put a bunch of time into this. I may as well try to share it somehow. And like, uh -huh cool to just do some coaching stuff and like say hey yeah. here just do that you know help people get more stoked from the sport and be able to just do it more effectively right. um, and then when that opportunity came up like gene hamilton's you know one of the most uh, not like most but like he's a really well-respected coach in in it so far as like you know he has a couple names like mitch ropoletto cody yeah. kelly like there's there's some guys that he's coached that are really really fast so yeah, it was yeah. A cool opportunity to be able to work with him and learn that curriculum um, uh -huh. and then I I started thinking about I want to do it myself and so I was doing side stuff and then effectively Gene just got to the point where he's like I need to just have my business I can't run a multiple instructor and coach business mm -hmm. you know where we got a bunch of people flying all over the place and organize that and so. He kind of shrank his business and that was right about the time where i was like felt comfortable starting my own right on. in 2015 
that winter was my first uh, advertised camp. Uh-huh. And then I've uh, just been going since then. So Yeah. What was that like, taking the leap? Were you pretty uh, confident or were you scared or? It was, it was tough. Like, I mean, I, I, I worked, I worked two jobs plus doing that, you know, like I was wrenching down in, in the Bay a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point we were, we had moved back to Tahoe. And so mm-hmm. I was effectively just running, um, be, being a carpenter basically uh-huh. and like trying to do that. And so working all week and then trying to coach when I could on the weekends, it was, it was stressful for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was like kind of like a side gig thing until you could like get it to a point where it was making enough to to pay the bills and yep. get rid of the other stuff. I yeah. know how that goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get. You know, sometimes that's that's the way, though. I mean, and it's tough at the beginning. You know, you're definitely um, you're putting a lot of time in. Yeah, you, you give up a lot of free time that you yep. could be like sitting on the couch or riding your bike or hanging out with your family. And so, um, so now you've been at it for a while. It seems like, I mean, I went on your website, you got, you got stuff all over the place. Yep. Yeah. Pretty I much. Know. It looked like you went down as far as like mammoth. I saw, and then up in the Tahoe area, some stuff in the Bay area. Do you get out of Northern California at all or not too much? I've tried to put stuff outside of it, but it's hard to, it's, I mean, I have a, a small name brand right now. And so getting uh-huh. stuff into like Oregon and stuff like that, where you have like all ride and all those sort of like, you know, other, yeah. other businesses and things like that. Um, yeah. But my, my brand's definitely getting bigger and, mm-hmm. and it's definitely pushing of, you know, I've, I've done privates and stuff in random places, but mm-hmm. uh, predominantly NorCal, I, like Redding, Redding's as far North as I'll go, Redding Shasta, mm-hmm. and then coming down, I've done stuff in San Diego not as much on my own. Um, I've put some stuff on outside of Ventura uh, mm-hmm. in the in greater Los Angeles area. Um, mm-hmm. Slow. I've worked in uh, a lot of it is just trying to find places uh, like last year was challenging and finding places for permits. Um, yeah. Putting on events just because the minimum amount of people and stuff like that. But it was also super helpful because it got a lot of people out doing stuff. But, yeah, there's a lot more people in the sport now. So you have to get a permit for wherever you're giving your class at. You're making money. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of weird. I, didn't, I wouldn't even think about that. Like, yeah. I would be like running like so illegally for so long until I got popped. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you mean a permit? I'm just yeah. fucking riding my bike, dude. <laughs> yeah. As soon as yeah. you make money, they have to make money. That's yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. it. It's just dumb. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like. How is it any different than, you know, like one of those crazy rides that they got 30 people showing up to meet and riding through it? Like, it's not like it's probably yeah. even safer because those 30 guys together are like, go, you know, and like sending people off of jumps that they shouldn't even be doing. And you're like, oh, sorry, bro. My bad. Right. I'm out. <laughs> you know, so. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, I know whenever I first started talking to Tom, the guy that runs uh, California Expeditions and he does that um, shuttling up there in Georgetown. Yeah, I didn't mean like he needs like, like permit per like per weekend and how many people he has and all this and that. And it's like if you use them all up too early in the season, then you can't have, you know, or you didn't get enough. Then, yeah, like it's just crazy. I, like I, I would never, ever imagine that it was something like yeah. that. But it's his his is more difficult because of the uh, transportation part of it. 
So yeah, yeah. he's running, he's running an FDA permit. So he has a, a, a food and like, it's like a food and beverage. Like he's, you know, like it's, it's a crazy, it's like what he has to go through is a big hoop. And then the transportation yeah, wow. is a whole nother piece of getting people in your car, all the certifications of vehicles and then the trailering and all those parts is like, those yeah. are the challenges. And that's why you yeah. have, that's why like the companies have a, a limit eight, this, that, and they have the scheduled times and stuff like that, where they're not just like, oh yeah, load up, we can go, you know? So right. they, they basically put it out there that they have only a certain amount to go through. I mean, I'm a little bit softer as far as what I have to deal with. Um, for yeah. Yeah, the, the forest service, forest service works really well for me, with me. And so I'm really stoked on being yeah. there, guys. So it's, it's a, it's a treat. So do you have to, I would imagine you have to carry some kind of insurance too, like, so that, so how much insurance do you have to carry to like, make sure somebody's not like, I don't even know what the insurance is for, just if somebody decides to sue you or like if they yeah, get hurt or something. Yeah, injury law stuff. Um, uh, wow. It depends on, it depends on who you're working through. Like working with some parks, they require like four mil. Um, oh. But it's, it's, it's surprisingly not that it's not that expensive to get the policies like those bigger policies are definitely a little bit more nice basically once i see that i'm like oh, i'm sorry i can't do that but most are like yeah. too it's not it's really reasonable it's not like yeah i was thinking about trying to build this event this bigger event i used to do these smaller ones and um i was trying to think about like ramping it up and that insurance thing was one of the things i was like i don't know is that going to be expensive or what yeah, but I think some of them you can get just for like a short period of time, though, too. It's not like you have to, like, get the insurance for the whole year. Like, you can be like, I need it for a week you know, yeah. or whatever it is. You basically so. buy it for, you know, the the time leading up to it, set up and then take down. Yeah, yeah. You covered through that. And I don't really know much about that, but there's there's great insurance companies out there. We use McKay. Uh -huh. so they're right they're they do a bunch of sports stuff so and i would imagine you you operate under like an llc or something like that as well that way they're not somebody can't try to come take your house or something like that right and uh, the protection is uh, it, it's i don't know you know it's kind of like yes it's there but it's not it's not like uh fail safe i guess yeah um, yeah i've heard that about like uh um what are those the waivers that people sign to like it maybe keeps some people honest, but for like, they don't ever really hold up if, if you were in court or something like that. I don't know. They do. And they don't, I mean, it's, yeah. it depends on the judge that day. Yeah. It depends on how uptight people are, but yeah. yeah. Anyways, but I, I wound up early on coaching high school mountain biking also. Oh, right on. The Nike in uh, 2011, 2000, probably 2011, 10, 11, I think was my first year. So right when I first started getting into coaching and I was working uh -huh. for Marine Catholic down in Marine County. And uh -huh. so I coached those guys for two years uh, as their head coach. Um, mm -hmm. And we wound up getting, as a small team, we wound up being in division one instead of division two, which is like anything over like 20 people. And so we were racing against Redwood and Drake, which had like 60 to 90 man squads. And we got oh, wow. to go in and our, our second year working with them, we got third with that squad up against Drake and Redwood. We actually would have gotten second if I hadn't had one kid have a mechanical and we would have, we would have been 
second place in in the state. So, oh wow, that's fine. awesome, dude. Yeah, I mean that's got to make you feel good as well because I mean that's something that I mean you you train the kids so. Yep. No, it was, yeah. it was really cool. There was a, I had a couple sleepers that were trained by you know an elite trainer that that definitely put in a lot of work on the team. So it it wasn't yeah. totally me, but I got to bring all the other team up there to get the points. So it was it was definitely fun. And so now I, awesome. I still I still work with Nika doing a lot of their well not Nika really but um, NorCal League as, mm-hmm. uh, as one of their coach trainers. So I do a lot of the. Um, skills coach training for their certification so that they can get their coach levels brought up. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a big thing that I just try to do now still. So is all the coaching you do um, the classes or do you have like an individual thing that you'll do with people as well, like a different rate for that? Or do you just stick with the classes? No. So I do schedule classes on weekends just because that's usually when people can go through. And then uh-huh. I'll usually be piggybacking on either side of it on Friday or Saturday, depending where I'm at trying mm-hmm. to do uh privates in there so so how long does a private lesson last as long as, long as you want i'll do packages i'll do 10 pack bundles so you can buy 10 hours for seven eight what is it now eight fifteen i don't know i don't remember okay. yeah we just changed From the website. Website. <laughs> yeah. yeah um that's my accountant <laughs> yeah, exactly. click where is it click here <laughs> Um, right. but yeah, privates, basically a private is 200 for the first two fifteen for the first two hours and then 85 an hour after that. Um, right. so I can't like, some people are like, I just want an hour. It's like, I can't really do anything in an hour. Right. Yeah. There's not enough time to actually validate or correct anything, um, at that point. And then I'll do privates, uh, and then semi privates also just like two to one. Uh, so the private one. What was that? I missed what you just said there. Oh no! I thought we were having issue audio issue. We had a lot of- um, maybe it blinked out for a second. I was typing to the people in the comments at the same time I was listening to you. So no <laughs> over here multitasking. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, I was saying I do group privates, uh, which is basically a day rate, but mm-hmm. you have to organize your own thing. And then I'll do team team stuff, team rate stuff. Uh, which gets a small discount. Um, so like I've worked with Roaring Mouse for years now. And then uh, I've worked with colleges before Stanford, UC, um, UC oh, San wow. So, So when you do the, the individual one, like what do you recommend somebody to start out with? Like three hours or something? Like is that like a good baseline or? I mean, obviously you're like, three hours. 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 No, <laughs> yeah, more the better. Right. <laughs> uh, I think three hours is good. Like if you're it's like a solid rider, like three hours is a, uh, is a good investment. Um, I can basically run through what I call my fundamentals with a, with one rider in about mm-hmm. an hour to hour and a half of just like, here's these seven base movements that you need to be able to think about and do on a bike. And then from there, we can kind of branch out into whatever problem I saw or whatever their progression wants to be of. Uh, so you kind of go on like a little, like, little tiny ride or something like that so you can kind of see what they're doing or you just like how do you like i just run through just just watching somebody pedal and you can be like oh i can see what's going on here already yeah i basically just make them go through set movements uh like the simplest thing is you, you like if you have basically seven things you need to be able to do on a bike and have the bike be controlled you need to be able to move up and down mm-hmm. you need to be able to move forward and backwards you need right. to be able to side to side 
And then you need to be able to con control pressure while you're doing that. And then mm -hmm. it seems super stupid and super simple, but you need to know how to steer. And most yeah. people get kind of lost with their steering control and how mm -hmm. hand movements and bar movements change what's going on. If you think every activity we do, how many of the activities you do in daily life is your balance controlled by your hands? Yeah, that's kind of crazy to think about. Nothing. Right. right. And so all of your balance on mountain biking is basically there's small hip, knee and other little things. But a lot of the movement comes from what your hands are doing. And if mm -hmm. you have the wrong weight in your hands at the wrong point in time, you're going to hit the dirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I um, do so much that I don't know that I don't think about. You know, I've been riding since, you know, I was a kid. And I mean, not professionally as a, a racer or anything, but I've done a lot of riding, you know, and, and I'm just not one of those people that can articulate things. But whenever I listen to other people give like training, I'm always like, oh, yeah, I do do that. You know, like yeah. I'll watch somebody's like how to jump video and I'm like, I didn't even think about my my feet are doing that or oh, yeah, I do throw my weight like that. I totally freaking no clue what's what I'm doing. I, I just do it. This which is like I make the worst like coach for any of my the ladies that I've, I've dated or like my lady I'm with now. She's like, how do you do this? And I'm like, I don't know. You just send it, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. Just point it. Yeah. Yeah. Just point it over that way. You know? Yeah. yeah. Feather it breaks. You're good. They're like, what do you mean no. feather? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> like, like tickle, like, like, yeah, like, right? yeah. like, yeah. Think of dimmering. Dimmering's a great one. That's a good way to describe it. Oh, okay. There you like go. Like dimmering the switch. Yeah, yeah. It took me a second, but I got I got what you were saying there. I was like, yeah. okay, yeah, that makes sense. It totally it's makes not sense. A word. Don't worry, dimmering's not a word. It's not, I, not I'm a word. in, dude. <laughs> right. So, uh, the, so what, what, I'm going to give you a piece of advice right now. So think about what you're doing. Don't think about it. Just feel what you're doing. Right. Go yeah. through a group a ride and like if you're having fun, like going out, whatever. But if you just go for a ride solo and you're sort of in like that Zen state. Like just feel what's going on. Feel what feel what feel where you're moving. Yeah, and be aware of it, and it'll you'll be like, ah, aha, I got it right. Like that feel feel is a big piece. Yeah, yeah, it's really um, really difficult for me to like. I don't know. I, I just. I, I I just don't think about it. I think that's what it really is. I don't think about it when I'm riding and. Um, so then when somebody's asking me or I'm trying to explain it, I'm like, I, I don't really, I don't know. She was yeah. telling me my lady one, um, you know, the, the girls that run MTP experience. Yep. She went to one of their uh, clinics because apparently I'm not a good coach. So <laughs> it's safer for the relationship to keep. That. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so too. I was like, this is a good idea. And, uh, and uh, so she went there and she was saying that, um, the the coach that she was working with was saying instead of dropping both of your your heels on the pedals to like kind of wedge in instead so like one foot up and one foot down and yeah. like at first when she said it to me i was like wow i've never even thought of that yeah. and then like a couple of days later i was riding and i was like doing something i was like dude my feet are totally like that right now yeah. like i'm not even like I thought it was like a, a like something I've never heard before in my entire life. <laughs> like, 
it's so. a it's a natural movement. You're standing on basically two spindles, and right. you're at different points, and you lower yourself down. They're basically right. that as it goes through. So your forward foot, I'm mixed up in this this mirror. Yeah, yeah don't worry about it. There's um, people listening, so they can't see your hands anyway. So, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> you're dealing with the forward foot, the forward foot here and the back foot here. You're, you're as you go through, they rotate around. The deeper you get, the more the more wedge you naturally get into it. Yeah, um, because of because of where the position is. So you naturally drop your front heel and you naturally point your back foot. It's, right. it's helpful for a lot of people to be aware of that in like uh, in like the beginning. Um, just because they wind up shifting their feet around and they're standing on their toes and all their weights move forward or they're yeah. dropping their heels and they're pulling off the back of the bike. And that that neutral balance body position that everyone tries to get you in is naturally that wedge position. If you're riding in balance, your feet cannot, you, they cannot move out of that position. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I think I noticed it most, like once I started thinking about it, once she said that, I noticed it most where like, you're just kind of trying to get low into the bike yep. so that you're, you know, being able to kind of throw it around or whatever. And you can't do that with your heels dropped, Yeah, you know? And, and I had, um, I rode BMX, like I said, a lot when I was younger and that was, you know, all flat pedals. But whenever I got into riding mountain bikes in the early nineties, um, it was toe clips back then. And then later it was, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is now, clipless now. Right. And, um, I rode that way with clips for years and years and years. And it was a, only like a year ago, maybe two years ago that I bought a hardtail again. And I was like, you know, all these people will keep talking about flats and I used to ride BMX. So I rode flats all the time. I'm going to try it again and see like how I feel about it. And, um, it was definitely a learning experience for me to like, obviously enough time had gone by. It'd been like on oh, what, almost 20 years I've been on them. And it, I was listening to all those guys that were like, you have to drop your heels. You have to drop your heels. So I was like trying to do that all the time. And man, it was like affecting like my, my calves, like making my, my calves feel like overstretched or like sometimes the front of my foot where it was feeling like it was too jammed, you know, or something. And yep. it definitely took a while to like learn that all that movement back. Um, but overall I will say, and this, and I would have never thought I'd got to this point, but, I tell people to go to flats all the time now because I realized when I did that, that um, I developed a lot of bad habits over the years of not being on flat pedals. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the other, you adapted to a shitty foot position too. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I believe it. So like our old, like when, when, I mean, I have a pair of 737s in the cabinet. I just saved just because like, I'm like, I have the first clipless pedal. I'm going to keep that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, everyone was trying to move the cleat further forward. So like ball the foot or like everything was in front of the pedal spindle mm -hmm. and it forces you to stand on your toes. And so like when you're talking about it right there about feeling like pressure in the feet, like you were probably super toe heavy on your on your flats originally. Do you mm -hmm. do you use the um, I forget what James's pedals, but do you ride the pedal pedal, whatever the pedaling pedal? innovations? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. Flat? Yeah. So those are awesome because it promotes it promotes midfoot pedaling. And yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing for me is, is people come off of clips onto flats and they're always trying to clip in. Yeah. And, and it's, they're, they're just going nose, they're too toe heavy and they're, they're ball, their foot sitting right at the axle and it's right at the flex point. And that's the spindle of the pedal is trying to rotate back and forth. 
and so it kicks your foot and now you're standing on your toe and they're like i keep i keep washing off my pedal and so it's mainly because you're right at the fulcrum right at the bend point of the foot and the fulcrum of the pedal and it's mm-hmm. washing out and softening out from underneath you and you're just pushing through the pedal instead of standing on top of it and yeah. so it's like pedaling innovations right is that the right yeah yeah, yeah pedaling innovations. so like james talks about midfoot it's about supporting the foot and you can't support the foot if you're at a flex point. And so you have to be in front of that going through. I, I ride way too far forward for most people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, the ball of my foot is roughly at the front of my pedal. Like I'm probably mm-hmm. an inch and a half to two inches in front of my axle. Mm-hmm. It's I've adapted to that. I started riding flats in 2002 because people were like, you can't do that with clipless. And I was like, whatever. You can't ride that bike here. It's not an XC bike. We're going on an XC ride. I'm like, I'm going to ride my six-inch trail bike here. I didn't even call it a trail bike. It was just a bike at that point. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I'm going to ride my, my Super T with 170 and 160 on this trail, and I'm going to have fun. Yeah, it's an XC ride, whatever. I'm going to wait for you at the bottom on the downhill. Right, so, right. And, I mean, I got heckled a lot. Oh, I'm sure back then. Early 2000s on a long travel bike. They're like, you, I were going, you ride. I'm like, yeah. I know. No. I remember I buying I my rim I bought, wide. <laughs> yeah. Like all the, yeah, all I, the you're good. I bought Go. a five inch bike in like 2005 and people were like, yeah. like they just like, that's so much suspension. You'll, what are you going to do? Like eight foot drops or something. And I was like, I don't know, man. I just like, I, okay. And like that bike was great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I had, one of my fastest times in Downeyville on that bike for a long time. I couldn't even catch it, you know? And uh, yeah, it's funny that you say that. What was I going to say about the pedals? Oh yeah. The thing that I did too, whenever I went back, like before I started using James's pedals, um, I'm a, I'm a trust that you got his name, right? Cause I can't, I'm so bad with names, but um, James Wilson. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I actually, I went out and bought a regular pair of pedals first because I was like, I don't have any, any, um, any point of reference to whether or not these pedals are going to be good. So if I just started with them, then I, I would just be like, oh yeah, they're great. But I wouldn't know why. So I rode like a pair of one-ups for like six months before I tried these. And when I first tried them, I didn't really notice it. I was like, yeah, I, I felt it actually climbing and that was about it. And then something happened to my bike that had the regular, because I had one set on one bike and then his on the other bike. And I didn't ride the bike with the other pedals for like a month. And then the first time I got back on that after riding these straight for a month, it was like, I am never riding any other flat pedals than these for like the rest of my life. Or unless somebody comes up with something else better. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ride them as well or you, you like different pedals or... I don't, I don't ride those. I actually do ride one ups. Um, yeah, I'm sort of an ambassador for them and I, I just, they're, they're a good pedal. I, uh, I like the shape. I started off. I mean, I've ridden a bunch of them. Um, I don't even remember what I was riding with back in the day when I was riding flats. Like, yeah, I had the cranks brothers for a while. Uh, those like multiple pieces where you could like switch colors around on them. Those are horrible. But it was all, I didn't know any better. I was like, oh, great. These are fine. Um, right. I ran Canfield for a long time, the mm-hmm. crampon. That pedal was really, really nice. Super slim profile. 
yeah. you know, where you'd run that slim profile. So all together you were getting lower, even if you were running a shorter crank because the pedal wasn't as big, you were still getting, you know, good, good leverage and pedal clearance and stuff like that through there, which was really nice. Uh, I try to run, I try to run super, super narrow. I don't, uh-huh. I don't really notice, like I get on stuff and like, I'll, I'll feel it here and there, but I'm not, I don't get super finicky with stuff. I don't, I don't really notice it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, whenever I, I, when I had that break, um, what I really noticed and I don't know, I, I have like a size 12 foot. I don't know where you're at, but for me, I really noticed when I went back to the regular flats that I just felt like my toes were like curling over and, and, and it just wasn't as comfortable. And at that point, that's what changed it for me. And, and I don't know if, if that's just me like buying buying the marketing or what but it seems like it feels good to me and i feel like the grip is really really great like it's like solid through my whole foot you know yeah. so i i i'm a i'm an average white nine and a half yeah you know, like any demo shoe i'm like sweet right and, uh, <laughs> perfect i recommend anyone with bigger feet that they run the pedaling innovations for sure um oh, I right had to get custom shoes because he was every shoe is always too big for him and mm-hmm. he, he was like 13s or 14 pluses like he was massive like the foot's like oh wow that's crazy bad. yeah <laughs> and uh and even when he was on that pedal it looked like a little lollipop still like his foot would just dwarf it but yeah if you're too far you get that like ape instinct and you start like trying to claw with your toes because they're hanging over too far yeah yeah that's a total i mean that's a total valid uh valid you know well, i just noticed like the like the arches of my feet would be like really kind of like sore you know yep. through the ride and yep so i don't know works for me i'm i'm definitely um i'm like i guess an ambassador for him as well so if anybody nice. wants to buy some i'll put a link in the uh, show more you guys can can uh contribute to the channel that way i i, I really like the pedals a lot definitely yeah. everybody was always like they look at the size of them. They're like, Oh, you're going to so many rock strikes. And I'm like, dude, I bang my feet and my bike on rocks all the time. It has nothing to do with the pedals. Yeah. So yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the noticeable is with the width. Sometimes people that come from clips wind up pedal, pedals, pedal, you know, more just because they're not used to the, the overall, the width of the pedal, not really the overall length or depth. Um, yeah. Used to having something that far out with a shoe and you get yeah. kind of it going through it james was actually in my first uh my first training class uh, oh that's awesome yeah we uh yeah we, we got trained together side by side oh that's cool yep yeah i had him on the podcast i don't know it's probably a year ago at this point it was a while back that we we talked and um he's got a lot of knowledge that's for sure so, yeah yeah he's a smart so, dude strong yeah he is definitely definitely made me think about stuff that i never really thought about while we had the conversation you know and like the, yeah the what do you, i'm going to use the wrong word like kin, kin, kinematics of like how you your body moves and stuff like that and i was like oh wow makes sense so study kinematics is basically correct yeah okay thank you kinesiology that's it kinesiology yeah yeah one of these days i'll i'll, I'll brush up on the english language <laughs> you're drinking a beer over there damn yes what do you got a num num juice Falls River. Oh, that is a good one. Now you're gonna make me get a beer. I'm gonna ask you a question, and I'm gonna grab a beer. Um, 
what was I going to ask you? So after the first hour and a half, you say you kind of do the basics and then, then, then basically what would you do in the next? So you do the whole three hours all at once. I'm assuming is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. you do that first part, kind of get through the basics, those seven movements. And then, then you kind of, would, where would you go from there? Depends on what their hiccups are, where their, where their stall is, um, what effectively they would, would be a recommendation of working on. Or if they have a specific, that's uh, that's in a in a skill spectrum of what they're capable of doing. We mm -hmm. work it um, you know. Yeah, so, so if they're on their like fifth time riding a mountain bike and they're like, okay, now I want to do ten foot drops, you're like, uh, we're not doing that, dude. Let's let's back up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's a lot of it. It's it's amazing is there's a lot of simple movements that just kind of go by the wayside with people. And there's a lot of uh, Facebook chat group forums that have a lot of people who feel their opinion is a valid argument. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know those guys. And, uh, and it's kind of hard to battle through stuff, you know, like there's good information out there, but a lot of times the information you're receiving at those points is they're available for personal interpretation and going through that is watching or seeing it is um they they you know they hear something and they're like oh this is what they mean by that and they wind up doing something that's correct as far as their interpretation of it but might not be actually correct as far as the actual uh you know action of what it needs to be yeah so, yeah i see what you're saying there so when you're doing that that thing up in Truckee, do, do you go like to the Truckee bike park and work with people there? Or do you guys go out to a ride somewhere? Like uh, there's a local OHD park that accesses a bunch of um, bunch of variations of trails, uh, uh -huh. parking lot with restrooms and things like that. Low distraction usually where there's not a bunch of guys riding by with cool bikes and kids, you know, falling and bleeding and bleeding on the ground and screaming for their parents and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it's a better learning environment that that sort of those events don't really lead to people feeling um, too inspired to do things sometimes yeah, um, or yeah. too distracted to pay attention. But yeah. uh, I try to it, it, I try to keep it super mellow uh, at mm -hmm. first because you're thinking about stuff. You're thinking about what's going on. It's like you may have never actually thought about what your foot position was. If you had to wedge and you go, oh, whoa, I have to wedge. And then if you're riding down a trail you're usually comfortable with, then you're thinking about something and your reactions are a little bit delayed instead of it being that subconscious, mm -hmm. you know, proactive movement and you wind up being in a conscious reactive movement and things get held up or delayed. And then you're caught in a situation where, um, where stuff's going, going crooked. So, mm -hmm. so what, um, I, I, cause I was thinking, man, I, I don't know, somewhere like Jackass would probably be like good to like show it people is. stuff because it's such a short loop. And it's got, you know, some rock rolls on it that were better before they were sanitized, but I won't get into that. And then, <laughs> it's not bringing opinions into this one. We'll yeah, do yeah. it But no, just, uh, but I mean, it's got, you know, good berms and stuff like that. So yeah. that's um, definitely a, a good place to go. Um, where, where do you see that most people struggle? I, I, you said earlier with just steering alone, or is there other like, like maybe the top, what are like the top five things or three things that really like jump out to you 
that people are usually really need more help with? Uh, side to side bike body separation, maintain uh -huh. slow speed track stands to ratchets to slow speed maneuvering. Um, side to side leads into high speed cornering, uh -huh. which is a big one. Um, and then and then weight transfer, being able to being able to push push a bike, like being able to load the bike. Um, mm -hmm. So effectively, you can think of like a compression, like mm -hmm. compression being pushing the bike. There's two different like like waveforms or directions with it. And so like a like a quick compression would be like what most people call a stomp. And then like the opposite side of it would be like a load where you're you're pushing back and like trying to hold through something. So if you think like a G out, mm -hmm. you don't want to allow yourself to like get like squashed in the G out. You want right, to be right. you want to be able to like push through it to support yourself. Right. What you're doing with your legs is a load and you'll see, see people get like caught in G outs with that or the progressions of pumping and jumping all come from that load also. Um, mm -hmm. But the movement isn't, isn't always driven from where it should be and people wind up adding extra movements in there. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest, but yeah. Uh, side to side, side to side is a big one is that maintenance of balance of being able to stabilize stabilize left and right and not have like some odd move to try to counter through because it's just not natural for most people to stand on something and balance above it and have it move underneath them to to create stability people want to move their body to create balance and you can't yeah you can't move your body around yeah i, I was just having a conversation with my buddy yesterday um about that and I was saying, you know, like when I really feel dialed, when I feel like I really pinned something, it's usually like I went through some crazy chunky spot and it feels like my body is just like completely at the exact same spot and my bike's just all over the place. You know, it's like up here, over there, there, you know, and it's just like it's doing everything underneath me and I'm just like floating, you know, and that's whenever you get done with the trail and you're like, dude, that was sick. I don't know if that's right or not. You know, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like okay. if you think of it as like your body should be like a marionette. Like you th you should think about like if you were like controlling it like as a marionette up there and you had you had the little figure standing below it, you would you would be like holding and carrying the marionette across it and like the bike's the bike would be just moving under and his arms would just be like whatever and his body yeah. would still be in the same spot and they would just be all sort of floating and waving yeah. through it. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't have that um yeah, you wouldn't have that, that feedback into the body. And that's that's effectively the biggest thing is you're just trying to isolate out outside feedback and yeah. keep your core as quiet as possible so that you can drive from it. If you start getting your core shifted or driven around or pushed around unexpectedly, then that's where things can go south. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, I, I would feel that in... I mean, that's usually where, where I'm fucking up if I'm on some steep, rocky descent and um, and that's where I mess up because my body is not in the right spot and you compress the fork and you are not in a position that you can recover from that. Yep. You know, and if my body was in the right spot, more than likely the fork wouldn't have compressed or if it did, I would have been able to adjust and like come out of it. But instead, yeah. I don't know, maybe I, I think that comes with like being scared. You know, so when you're scared, at least for me, because I come from back in the day when everybody was just like, get your, your butt behind your tire, you know? So like when I get freaked out, I'm like getting way back and I'm, then I'm not like waiting my bike right, you know? Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. <laughs> know exactly what you're doing wrong. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I've been doing it for a long. I know myself well. I can't like do anything for anybody else. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm here for, right? Right, right. Yeah. You, gotta, you just got to get more people uh, hooked on the sport, and then I'll just get more people hooked on the sport, and then we'll both be getting more people hooked on the sport together. Right. right? Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I, I think another thing too, that has a lot to do with, cause my writing has changed a lot in the last year, but I've also lost a lot of weight in this last year. And uh, I think that level of fitness that you have in your core definitely determines a lot of how well you're writing. And I, I would have loved to have argued with that, you know, a year ago when I was, 60 pounds heavier than I am right now and told you that didn't matter, but it's really relevant to me now. Like I, I notice it where it's like, I didn't have the, I didn't have the energy to throw my bike around the way that I do now, you know, like the way that I don't know how to explain the movement, but in certain, like I'll take a swing at it. Like, like say you're climbing and you have to like lift your front wheel and push the bike forward over something. And then, you know, like your body English in it, you know, over this this little rock or something you know and before it would have been just like try to like smash the pedals enough to like do that you know and and, and that takes a lot more energy you know yeah i mean it, it becomes like a, a weight rep count right i mean the more the more weight you're pushing the harder it is right yeah. and i mean you were you, you were sort of adapted to that but it also is is that if you know if you're pushing more the the larger the rep is you, the harder it is to do and that's what yeah, people yeah. is they'll be pedaling they'll pedal high gears and it's like i'm getting tired and it's like well spin that thing up like more more reps lighter weight and it, and, it, and it's in an efficient it's in a point of efficiency too is is that the more natural the movements are then the less extra effort you're pushing to get into it um and like if you co coordinate those basic fundamentals, a lot of stuff builds off that. And if you're using an extra hip movement in a movement of trying to push the bike forward that doesn't need to be there, then you're wasting energy. And if you're doing that several times over a ride where you're shifting a hip position or trying to push somewhere else to get through it, then you're, you're effectively shooting yourself in the foot because you did three moves that only needed to be one move. You know, or the same as like where people look at a little rock and they're like, oh, I'll go around it. And you go around a little rock to avoid going over it six to 10 times. Now you've added 30 feet to the trail. And if you keep doing that the whole trail, then you're at 500, 600 feet. You know, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but also each of those movements requires requires more energy to coordinate, you know, to physically think yeah. about how to move through. I've had a few people that have helped get into the sport over the last year and, um, it's really hard to get people to understand that you like just run into this shit like the suspension will do it and i i usually try to have people um back at the house before they even start riding like run straight into this curb like yeah. i really just run straight into it and see that your fork is just going to eat it up yeah and usually that helps a lot of people if you can actually get them to do it though a yeah. lot of times they'll get right to it and then they still like pull up or they, and it's like, no, I'm telling you, just run into it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially with Niners. Like we used to do that, you know, back in the day when we were on 26 inch, we're oh, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, you'd go into it and you'd like you'd be talking to somebody and like when when Gene and I would go through, it'd be like you'd, you'd have your hand off the handlebar and be like looking not even at the curve and like talking to them and just smash into the thing and they're like, oh my god, and you're like, it, it's not a big deal, like, but. A curb is basically the largest small obstacle you can roll over without like having to do something. Like you can basically just hit it and absorb through it because it's hitting low in the low in the radius of the wheel. And mm -hmm. so where the force is, there's enough of the wheel forward of the curb that it's still rolling forward. Mm -hmm. If you hit it far enough back and and you're close to actual end apex of it, that's where stuff gets crazy. And the thing is, is that most of the impacts, even if you're looking at like some crazy rock on the trail, your actual point of impact for the tire is usually smaller than a curb and you're going to roll up onto it. But people see like a 16, 18 inch tall rock and they're like, oh my God, that's massive. But unless it's a vertical edge, most of the time when you impact it, it's going to be low enough that a, the first impact is technically a curb. You just have to yeah. allow movement to let the bike come up and go over it. Yeah. That's one of the things that, um, I guess the reason I try to show people that is then I tell them then when we're on the trail, like, look, is that rock sticking out of the ground more than the curb? No, roll yep. into it. Like just roll over the damn thing. Like, yep. it's like, you'll be surprised how much easier this ride gets when you're not doing exactly what you said, like just around and around and around. And, and you yep. figure out that you're like, that's what's making you slow, you know, <laughs> like, I, I, I basically, I mean, it's effectively micromanaging where you go through it and you're just like trying to like pick this line, pick that line, knife back and forth and go through stuff. And there's, there's points of managing things, but you want to make sure is, is that you're taking the most efficient line as you can and that you're going to go through stuff. If there's a small rock at the beginning, you want to roll over that small rock to go through it. If you try to avoid three of them, most people forget that they have a trailer behind them, that there's a rear wheel and they turn through it. And then all of a sudden the rear wheel hits something that they didn't expect and then they get yeah. bucked and then they panic and they're like, Oh my God, I didn't know that was there. And it's like, if you had just gone straight, you would have seen the rock and known that you were going to hit something and been ready for it instead of trying to like, like knife through it. And that's where people get caught too, is, is that in that, that, that micromanagement of the trail is now they're changing directions and their steering control might be off and they don't expect for the turn to be as tight. And then all of a sudden the bars move out of their hands quicker than they expect. And then they overcompensate to go backwards and then they turn before they expect to go through. And so that, that steering control is a huge piece to that is that, yeah, there's certain times where I want to kind of weave through stuff and create this path, but you have to be aware of what, what, what's the drawback for doing that or what's the gain, what are you trying to get from it or what are you losing by doing it? Mm -hmm. And that's the battle with mountain biking is there's a lot of gain loss, you know, movements out there of, this yeah. is going to benefit me how, or is it not going to benefit me? So, Yeah. 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 Do you um, talk to people about like pumping or anything like that or? It, it comes up. Yeah. Um, it, uh, pumping's a, pumping's a confusing, confusing one um, as far as what your actual, like where the movement's coming from and the timing and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, it changes with bikes. It changes with terrain and all those pieces in there. Um, Pumping comes into that conversation about load, uh, where where your load is and how you're pushing the bike going through it. So an extension of that compression uh, sort of skill. Um, that compression is is something I talk about as a skill, but the, the load that's necessary to create pumping is really hard to create on most trail systems if they don't have like 
a really nice roller or something where people can actually work through the feeling of a true pump track. Um, yeah. Because the timing's really hard to schedule if it's awkward, if it's mm-hmm. a natural feature. Uh, and that's that's a problem for sure for a lot. Yeah, I've been trying to explain it to my lady lately, and uh, I think she kind of got it. I forget what trail we were on, but it, it took a certain trail that was pretty close to a, a pump track where I was like, you know, as you're coming over this, push down and you'll, because I was trying to tell her how like, how to get speed without pedaling. Yep. You, you know, and, uh, and it was definitely, it, it was definitely one of those things that I, I, I think a lot of people don't do, you know, at, they at least I, I don't notice it. You know, you, you can usually tell like, cause I'll end up doing it even in like rock gardens and stuff where it's like, I'm just trying to get a little speed and I don't have time to fucking pedal. Right. So I'm like, just or, or using this little section, you know, and just pushing it down, you know, yeah. or using it as a weight and unweight where you push into something and then you unload off the next one and you float over a little rock and then push into yeah. the next one through it. So the load and load, I mean, as I said, that's one of the, the main skills is that that compression, either quick spikes where it's a stomp or that long pressure where it's a load. I think the most confusing thing for most people with pumping is the point of actual actual pressure. And mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like the pump should come from the top of a said roller and you should be pushing down to go through it. If you're only pushing a little bit down a slope, there's not a big push. And if you do get enough pressure going down it, the hardest part is, is that curve or that transition of what you're pushing up into. So even if I get enough speed to push down through it, I would need to have the speed to push out of it instead. So I'm not gaining anything from pushing into a transition because I still have to be able to absorb that transition. I'm trying yeah, to push kind of pushing like, yeah, like right at the, the G out kind of spot. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's where the bike's actually shape changing. So where it's going from downslope front wheels, transitioning into either the upslope of the next, next roller, or mm-hmm. it's progressing out into the flat if you're coming off of a flat but it's that punch of the rear wheel going down. And a lot of people will use arm pressure to push the bike down. Your arms and upper body need to stay super quiet. And the legs themselves is that drive, that extension, which is effectively the load into the rear wheel is what's yeah. driving the wheels or wheel down and then driving the bike forward together. Uh, and it's, it's that transition that you're trying to pump out of. You're not trying to pump into that. You're trying to push out of the transition into the next step. So mm-hmm. if you thought about like a curve, you're, you're just thinking is, is that it's actually in that point of change in the shape of the bike or in the shape of the curve. It's not into the shape of the curve. You're not rolling over the top and pushing down the ramp to go into the curve. You're pushing through the curve at the bottom. Yeah, uh, yeah. And a lot of people will talk about trying to get back at that point. The reason you looks like you're back is because the bike has been angled into a new slope or a new position. And so visually with a tilt of the bike, handlebars have rolled away. The rear tires rotated up closer to your butt and it looks like you're back you're still just trying to push down, but you're allowing the bike to shift into a new shape going through it. Yeah. My lady asked me, and I had a really hard time explaining this. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to hear how you, how you say it. She said, people keep telling me to get light on the pedals. She's like, what does that mean? And I, I really struggled to articulate what that meant without like, I'm like in my head, I know what it means. Like I know what it means when I'm riding, but like, how do I explain that? to her i wouldn't <laughs> I, mean, I, would, I would never i would never tell somebody to get light in the pedals uh-huh. i would never say get light in the pedals the the you want to you want to allow for movement 
but I want to I want to keep constant pressure. And mm -hmm. the way I, I would I would say you would think about getting light in the pedals is is that it feels as if you're you're because mo like if I feel like getting light in the pedals, I feel like there's separation and that like yeah, and I don't think that's what they're 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 explaining. I think when somebody says that, and this is just my assumption. Yeah, but I think it's like when you're letting when you're not trying to like jam the bike into the ground so yeah. you're letting it like come up as you're going over that rock and you're you're still keeping planted but you're like you're not trying to like push it down that's the best way that i could explain it but i think maybe lighten your pedals is probably the wrong thing to say because it does lead to making people think of what you're saying where you're actually like kind of lifting your feet off of them so if you think of it as what what at that point if it's if it's pressure through the feet alone you're softening yeah. the so your knees would be going soft and so yeah. you're trying to allow for effectively movement of the bike upwards and so uh -huh. the first hinge would be at your knees um mm -hmm. it moves into what would be i mean most people call it a hinge effectively it's that yeah. it's that that ability to let the hips drop back and allow the legs to come up in balance um uh -huh. it's a it's the opposite of the compression so that compression or load and that stomp that spike as that stomp of the bike getting driven down in the reverse aspect of it it's the bike getting driven up so it's mm -hmm. basically a negative of a spike and so it's a return and if you can allow for the bike to move in the same path opposite then you don't have to you don't have to truthfully unweight you just have to not allow for the the transfer of energy to affect your core and lift mm -hmm. you up and so you're trying to dissipate whatever that is whatever frequency is coming at you by a softening of the knees and a hinge of the hips to allow for it to move up or back towards you so if you think yeah. of that it, i don't i like if you were to think of like a body position as like a tall position or a low position um there's a lot of riders which talk about like if you if you classified how you ride a bike, what, what would you say? What was your position as far as being in a bike? Me personally? Yeah. Like if you called your average position, do you, do you feel like you move around a bunch or do you feel like you ride in a position? I move around a lot. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I don't. Um, yeah. I'm all over the place. Cause I'm like, cause even like climbing, like sometimes I'm sitting up straight because I need to, I need to like unload my back some, you yeah. know? Yes, and get some air in the lungs. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes I'm freaking, you know, bent over in like almost an attack position because I'm trying to, you know, lift up over something or yeah. so I'm 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 kind of definitely all over the place. I don't like have a rigid position. But I think that's because I'm super comfortable on my bike. Yeah. And I think that when people start, they're definitely like they it takes a long time to get comfortable with your bike, you know. So people will go in and they'll hear attack position and they'll be like, okay, somebody said I have to ride in this position and they'll hold that position all the time and they won't oh, yeah. allow for adjustment. So if you thought about, if you're coming into it where you're opening up, you're standing up and getting taller where yeah. you come off of a super gnarly trail and it rolls into like what we would feel like is a mellow section, a single track or onto a fire road like that, you'd stand up, right? You'd Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Like stretch out my legs. I'm like, fuck man, yeah. I'm tired. You know? <laughs> Exactly. And then as it got more rockier or you went into a section where you needed to do something, you would move into a lower position, right? Yeah. So there's ranges of motion in there. And so if you think of it as far as range of motion goes, you have what would be 
a tall position, which is effectively is as tall as you can stand on the bike, but still have a little bend to your knees, elbows and hips where you're not going locked out. And then your low position. And a low position is as far as you can get into the bike, as low as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. So that movement of moving up and down is a negative is how tall can you stay, but have the bike move up towards you to create that low body position. So it's not always about your body moving up and down. It can be the bike moving up into you instead of instead of your body moving down. So yeah, I always call that like using your natural suspension. You know, yeah. like you you have a lot of suspension in your legs, and then your bike has a little tiny bit. You yeah. know, so you need to use the suspension that your body gave you, like because if you don't and you just rely on the bike, you're gonna you're gonna not be able to absorb much. You yeah. know. The bike, the bike is for high frequency stuff that you can't take feedback from, right? So right. your body has whatever, you know, like a smaller rider is going to have, unfortunately, less suspension. Naturally, right. a smaller rider is going to have a lot more suspension because they have more range of movement. And so right. my biggest thing is with riding is riders lock themselves out and they lose range of movement. And that's where they get stuck is they don't have ability to react to something or move in that sensation. So as you said about the suspension um what what the way you worded that would be the better way to talk about being light on your feet is is that you're trying not to allow feedback to move through it if if you're on something and you're thinking about your feet staying light your feet are staying the same so you don't want to have an increase in pressure in your feet if you're heavy in your feet and you're smashing into something then because of that impact from the bike and the bikes want to return or move upwards that upwards movement is now adding force to your effective pedal pressure. And so your feet are getting heavier because mm-hmm. your weight combination of you moving down and the bike moving up is spiking it. And so if you're light and can absorb that impact, then that absorption creates a neutral pressure in your feet instead of it spiking going through it. Yeah. And so light pedals in my mind would be reduction of a spike in pressure. Mm-hmm. So you're not increasing weight that you're keeping or maintaining a similar amount of weight through the system. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's definitely interesting to think about. And like when, when you break the stuff down, um, you, there's a lot going on that, that you don't think about, or at least, and I guess this kind of, kind of comes back to my personal inability no, to articulate most, things. Most people, it's most people. Yeah, people don't think about what's going on and they don't feel what's going on. And then they go through and they work off of an interpretation of what somebody told them in that situation. So I finish. Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, there's just so much that I don't think about, you know, and because I've been writing for so long and, um, whenever we have conversations like this, it always makes me realize like why it's so intimidating to new writers because there's so much to think about, you know, it's like not even like where their body is, like, how do I pull these brakes? Do I change gears? Like, I feel like the dropper post is great for people that have like learned how to ride, but for people that are just learning how to ride, it's like, fuck, now there's another thing that you got to pay attention to, you know? And like, you know, and uh, I could see that frustration in some of these people that I've helped, you know, kind of get into the sport this year and, it's tough to like not sound like you're giving them a list of like 75 things to think about whenever they're starting out. 
do you do you have a way that you break it down for like newer riders or i mean it basically it's just trying to go through those those simple ones um well you said the seven movements though too that that probably covers a lot of it huh that's that's your that's your basic like that's your basic movements the the shifting your dropper post things like that like there's there's videos out there that go through dropper post etiquette of like you need to be in this position for this section of trail this position in that section of trail up here on that one down below on that one basically if you want to move your bike the dropper post the seat goes all the way down you yeah. want to pedal your bike the seat's all the way up you right. want to go through a little section of rough climbing rock stuff where you're going to need to move around and be able to move into it most people call like a crouch climbing position, but like that sort of hovering over the seat where you can move yeah. through it, the seat's gonna go down like an inch and a half. So like yeah. the old like the old specialized command post that had three settings or like the original um, uh, gravity dropper, the company out of Montana, that was like a pin and a spring. You pull the spring yeah. out and it'll be like pow and like snap back up really quickly. Like <laughs> they, had, they had like a set setting where there was like, here's as high as it goes, here's as low as it goes, and here's a little bit down. It would be way easier for people if you just had three settings because people are like it's infinite that means i have infinite options to be able to set my seat posts and i need to vary it from all this terrain so people get super distracted with that shifting yeah. at least is better now with one by drivetrains like yeah. at least you don't have to worry about what do i do with this button on the other side like i'm yeah. so already um that's true there that definitely does help a lot that's like a but we one. took away the front derailleur and then we're like ah we'll put a dropper riding on the east coast is like i would use i would probably have a three by and just have a dropper post like and like i'd probably like i'd never shift if i was out there for like most yeah. of it like you know like virginia and stuff like that i'm like i I i use my dropper more than i would shift yeah you know and i see why like those areas especially like when i rode up in michigan was like oh i see why 29er rigid single speeds are a thing here because it would be really fun to just smash as fast as I can around this trail system. And, you know, they don't have a lot of elevation gain and loss there. Right. Yeah. They do up a little bit up in like Copper Harbor and like the North and stuff. Um, yeah. There's some dope riding up there, but no, there's not like a lot of stuff lower down is like a lake lap and it's, you know, you're pedaling around and you, you, you got like 16 miles in and 200 feet of climbing. Yeah. 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 It's kind of crazy to think about as a Californian, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's surprising ride. though what you can do with a little bit of elevation because I went to Texas a while back and rode that Spider Mountain. That uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? I know, like a, I don't know it great, but I know of it. Yeah, so it's a lift access place, but they only have like 350 feet elevation loss. And yeah. like, I'm like, dude, I, I descend for miles, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I, I remember going with like, I was trying to not be like judgmental you know but i was definitely judging the shit out of it before i got there but i had really i had a really good time and they had like stuff that was that was uh difficult for me to ride and stuff that was easy for me to ride but um yeah i mean it was a short downhill but i mean if you're getting on a lift to get back up who gives a shit right you know yeah totally and it's you get into stuff like that and it's the builder you know that that like you can have low vert but if you have a legit builder that like knows how to put a trail together and how to get people into a flow or connect into you know some gnar or work through where you have like a progression into things like 
that's a huge amount on the builder. You can ride like a lot of vert and only have 300 feet of really quality trail. You know, yeah. like, there's a lot of places where I'm like, that trail was cool, but you know, I only really liked four rock gardens and those five turns. Like I would have been fine riding that section over and over and over and over again. And yeah. Like, yeah. Sweet, right. Yeah. I, uh, what, what helped get me stoked on coaching was coming back and having free time and crashing the economy and not really having work and finding stuff that I needed to do. Right. And uh, basically building a bike park in my dad's ranch. I had, you know, his dozer and went out and built my own pump track, built my own set of doubles, built my own dirt jumps below that to a, you know, miniature like four cross course. And then I had 300 feet of vertical and I just built like four or five trails down it. And dude, I was like, mountain biking's awesome. And I, yeah. I like, I had small, a small pallet to work with, but it was so fun. This is my first year. I've done trail work in the past, but this is the first year that I've, uh, I've built a trail and, mm -hmm. um, it definitely like totally changed a lot of things for me, you know, and there, there's so many aspects of it that I love now, you know, that I never really thought I would have got into, but man, you really, like you really appreciate those guys that can build really well. Because yeah. I mean, we did like a rough cut in and we thought like this thing was dialed and how much that trail changed over the next couple of months of us like, dude, this corner sucks. Or this, you know, cause like when you first do it, you're like, dude, you're so stoked. You're like, this is the yeah. crappiest trail in the world, but you're like, this is so fun, you know? And then like a month later, you're like, dude, I can't pin this trail, this is boring, you know? Yeah. like. And then you start like, oh, I need to make this turn wider or I need to put in a little something gotcha. to pop off of here. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you start realizing like how those guys come through and just like nail it on the first try. Like you're like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of it. And you, I mean, you learn a lot about riding by building a trail of like yeah. sections that suck on trails. And you're like, oh, it makes sense because, you know, it's either too short or too long. And like things where you rolled into it and like, as you were building it, you're like, Oh, this is going to be really, really fun. You get into it and it's like super choppy and you're like, yeah. Oh, I see. It's like, because this is too short. I, um, I, I find that a lot of times with like trail builders is that I call it like high school, high school kids building trails as they get super excited to do it. And then all of a sudden, right where, right where things need to end, they kind of quit and they lose interest in it. You know, like building berms, you'll go into a berm and you're like, yes, yes, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, like right where you need the support at the bottom of the turn, there's nothing there. And you're like, what, the, what, what happened here? Like, come on, like you yeah. don't need to put all the work in the top. Like if you're gonna build a berm, start at the bottom and then quit at the top because like yeah. all I want is to catch at the bottom to hold me to come out of it. And that's that's a big one. The other one is, is that the, the um, not misconception, but uh, like the like, the loss of like the possibility of the actual momentum you're going to be carrying into it. Like where you walk through it and you're like, this turn is massive. Like right. this thing's giant. And then you roll through it and you're like, God, that thing's kind of tight. Like you're yeah. like, oh my God, I need to, I like, we could have gone like at least like four or five feet wider, you know, like yeah. we way bigger radius in here. Like I, I think for me is like trail building wise is like, unless you have a big support berm, the turn needs to be the radius of the speed you want to carry through it. <laughs> you want to go 20, you got a 20 foot radius. Like it's, yeah. be, you know, and like, it's That's hard. What to I really found that we were doing wrong at the beginning of the trail when we were building it was we were making things really tight. And then it was like, 
yeah, that'd be fine if you were going five miles an hour. But like when you want to come down this hill cooking at, you know, 15, 17, 18, 19 miles an hour, like that turn needs to be a lot longer, you know, like, or yeah. you're just going to jam your brakes and then you're losing that like flow, you know? Yeah. That was what I found. Like I worked on the, worked on the Tamarancho flow trail. Um, when that, when that first got built. Uh, oh yeah. That was super fun. Little section too. Yeah. I was invited to work on that. And I felt like, that's sort of similar to the Santa Cruz flow where you go to like stage five, which was the first one they built there. Mm -hmm. People just got super excited to build something and then they just stuffed a bunch of stuff in there. And it's like, it would have been way more flowy if there was just less through it. And like, you could just get into movements and like work yeah. through it. And I feel like early flow trails for a lot of people became super frenetic and like, there was just too much going on. And it was like more vibration than actually like flow where it wasn't like fluid to go through. And, uh, yeah, I dude, think in Nevada City is built well that way. Hoot's good. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who I personally like Scott's Flat on the other side of the road better. Per, that's yeah. just me. I just feel Scott's like it's better because it was sort of an adaptation where they kind of built off of learning experience from Hoot. I think that Hoot in itself was sort of fit that same part where they tried to put more into it, you know, like where they got the opportunity to finally build. And they're like, we're going to build a jump trail the whole way down. And, uh, you know, yeah. there's a lot of jumps where it's like, you have to work for it. Like yeah. I prefer if I'm going to go for, through a flow trail, I shouldn't have to work for stuff. I shouldn't have to pedal to go through. Like, I want to be like, I just want to be able to flow out of it and have like a nice fluid movement in the next one and have that, that like, I mean, I yeah. like say Zen again, but like that Zen like flow. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I totally yeah. get what you're saying. And that trail definitely has a lot of that where it's like, oh, if you want to hit this double, you better get like four cranks in right now, right yeah. as you came out of that berm. You know, yeah. like, like when yeah. I was down there with Dirt Days, we uh, I was with a group, a uh, group of kids that I just wound up like hooking up with, and uh -huh. like I was like, we're not gonna pedal, and like I'm just gonna, we're gonna coast this whole thing, and it's it's fun to do that. Is like, that's like that's where I feel is like flow flow trails should be chainless. You should be able to just roll through everything, and then given the opportunity, if you want to, you should be able to pedal and like make like big shit, like where you could go through and like instead of doubling out of this one, you could pedal into it and like triple it or like, you know, double quad and like add like, like it, it shouldn't be reaching for like a feature. You should be given the opportunity that like, if you can roll through that, there's like big, 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 big stuff going through. Like yeah. that's, that for me is like flow is like the opportunity to create bunches of options for people where average riders feel like they're Superman and then where Superman feel like, gods you know like I yeah think I yeah that's funny you said about the float or the the not pedal thing one of my are you're familiar with auburn like sra yeah yep so like confluence is like me and my buddies we got on this kick where it was like how fast can we get down that you know yeah. and we're down at like 5 30 right now you know we're we're nice. freaking killing it right yeah so so one of my buddies which you probably know him as well not buddy but uh the guy dave from victory velo the bike shop there in Auburn? Uh, no, I probably super, super nice dude. Yeah, you, you probably met him somewhere along the line. Anyways, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, dude, me and my friends did the same thing. And he's like, once we got to a certain speed, it was just like, we're going to kill somebody or ourselves trying yeah. to go down this trail faster. And he's like, go to the top and just put your wheel against the, the gate yep. and try to get all the way to the life jackets at the bottom without pedaling. Yeah. And there's okay. some like punchy little like, 
they're not climbs, but in if you're not pedaling, they're climbs. You know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, totally. So and, I mean, it's, it teaches so much about conservation of movement, yeah. being super efficient with what you're doing. Given the opportunity to pedal, people will waste energy. Yeah, in a turn, in a movement going up and over stuff because they're not afraid of it. Like you look at like Gwen in in Leo Gang, whenever it was when he did the chainless win there, and then Nico Molelli in world championships where he got second or whatever it was chainless where he blew out halfway. Like, like that's the legit, like being able to ride fast without being able to pedal is like, yeah, dude. Yeah. It moves straight into pumping that conservation of movement, timing stuff, being efficient with braking, conscious yeah. line choice, like all of these things come through. So when I worked with a high school team, we would do that. We would go through and like ride Tamarancho and the flow trail was just finished the last year I was there. But we would go through and we'd roll through a section of trail and I would be like, no pedals. We're not pedaling all the way through this. Right. How far can you get? And like yeah. kids were stoked when they went through. And then all of a sudden, like two weeks later, they made it through the section. They're like, oh, my God, I made it this time. I'm like, yeah, yeah awesome. Like, yeah, it's it's fun. And like as far as like public trails go, it's a way better sense of like trying to like uh, like push yourself yeah. Is because you're not trying to ride as fast as possible. Um, Stravass holding it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, you go that's totally what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, is you can go through it and it, it'll give you this like sense of like. The that's same feeling. Like, all right, I'll ride jackass and I'll go out and I'll try to beat my time and I'll pedal my ass off and I'll be like. I don't even know. I'll call it a 342, whatever. Uh -huh. And I'll pedal my ass off and I'll go through and then I'll coast to the next section and I'll get a 350. Yeah. How did I do that? Eight seconds slower without pedaling the whole way, you know, right. like, like uh, whatever. Like, so it's sometimes, sometimes working harder isn't faster. You know, what's, what's yeah. like seal, seal mantra is like slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right. So yeah. like if you can get into it and get into that movement and like flow through stuff, like it's, that's where stuff comes together. And so like for me, as far as a coach goes is I'm trying to get people to be aware of movement and trying to get them to functionally recognize what they're doing incorrectly or correctly so that they yeah. can get into that flow state sooner. Um, yeah. And that's again, where you talked about in the beginning is like far as my clientele goes. My clientele are people that understand that education can get them to a point faster, right? Yeah. If we were relying on brain surgeons to learn brain surgery as they were growing up, we wouldn't have a great medical system. We're relying yeah. on people with experience able to explain it in an environment where people can grow and develop a better skill faster and then having those people do the same thing. So I expect the next set of coaches that come out after this are even going to be better. Like. I would call myself a second generation coach, um, learning from Gene, who effectively was one of the first marketed coaches. There was definitely coaches in the day with Ned yeah. Overing and all that stuff in there and Tomac, but they, they looked at like motorcycles and all those other pieces and then adapted it towards mountain biking. So mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not advancing the sport as far as creating something new. There's always been coaches and they've always like effectively talked about the same thing. There's different ways for people to explain things. And I think that's, that's the cool thing out there is, is that 
you're going to click with somebody and somebody's going to say something. You're going to be like, I got it. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I think that we're, we're at a, we're at a cool point for my business right now is, is that the activity is getting recognized and there's more people coming out and trying to do it. And the more people that do it, the better the information is, the more people can learn from it. And, and the more riders into the sport, new to the sport or in the sport already can benefit from it. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, kind of just circling back to the the no pedal thing too. I think that that helps a lot of learning those those skills that are like the cornering and the braking and the stuff. Because he was that my that guy was telling me he said that they'll do it as a as a race almost together. And he said if there's three of them that start at the gate together, you can tell exactly when somebody just like fucked like, up tapped just tapped their brake, just yeah. a little teeny tiny tap. And all of a sudden the other two guys are like 30 feet in front of them. And he's like, and it yep. really, really makes you think about all those things. And I think it's a really great progression, but I think one of the reasons I'm mentioning that though, is that this takes so much time to, to learn, you know, like, like you may do a hundred runs on that to learn some better cornering. Right. And that hundred runs is like how many times, like every, you don't do more than two in a day if you're yeah. a peddler, you know, it's like, that's a big climb, you know? And so when you started out and saying like, this is where people come to like learn something faster, that really resonated with me because I'm a pretty good rider, but I'm also like an, an idiot for fucking taking 20 years of just like figuring it out on my own, you know, like, like oh, they're well, definitely, let me step in real quick. So a lot of times what happens is with, with riders like you, where you've, you've spent 20 years riding, a lot of it is, it's not, it's not self-validation. It's actual like technique validation where you can look at something and now realize that what you've been doing is actually correct. And mm -hmm. then what I can do is I can fix those little pieces that aren't quite like where you, you have that little misdirection going through with a movement or something going through that is that yeah. you can go back and you can get that to come together. It requires a little bit of work to to cheat out that old habit or cut off that old habit because it's basically hardwired and that hardwiring needs to be broken down so that it doesn't fire when you're in a fight or flight mode. So your old your old wiring is always there and you yeah, have to yeah. you have to stomp it out and create a new habit. So it, it takes work going through, but with a with a with an experienced rider. Um, at most levels, it's just about validating and, and getting them to not worry about what they're doing and then being yeah. able to tweak those those couple little things and, and effectively help them to, to crest that plateau and get to another step where they're getting stuck. And I mean, yeah. we, we all run through plateaus and that's the part of it. Like, yeah, I, I coach mountain biking. Am I a professional? By far not. Like, I don't have the time. I don't have the strength to do stuff. A joke is that I'm... I'm it, like as far as like a high school reference again is that like I'll do enough to pass yeah and that's the way I ride a bike is like I'm not going to put more energy into it than I need to so I'm not going to like try to be like oh cool let's do a little wheel tap and then like come out this way I'm like yeah I could do that but meh whatever so yeah seems like yeah. too much effort yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah I hear you I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with at where I'm at um in skill set and I'd love to hear your your um, perspective on this, because I know this is probably, I feel like my biggest problem is cornering, like yep. cornering efficiently and like 
especially cornering on something that doesn't have a catch berm or a berm, you know, where it's like a cornering on a flat safety net. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and like being able to, that that's one of those things where I'm always trying to work on, like trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong or whenever I do finally get that flat corner, that's gravelly good. I'm like, what did I do there? You know? And, and uh, is there anything like, what, what are your kind of cornering basics? <sighs> <laughs> Should we start the timer again? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, let's go another two hours from now. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> cornering basics. Uh, there's a lot of room for inter interpretation with cornering. Um, effectively, as far as mountain bikers go, we are the largest weight in the in in the system. So, comparing it to motorcycles, where people will go through and they'll see this or they'll see that with motorcycles. Um, your body is the largest mass. The biggest thing with cornering is bike body separation, is getting the bike to move away from the body instead of the body moving with the bike. A lot of people will go into a road habit where you'll talk about pointing the knee, dropping the outside foot and kind of leaning into the corner or kind of standing up. Um, yeah. I call that a Captain Morgan turn. So if you picture <laughs> Captain Morgan standing on the rum barrel, that's a Captain yeah. Morgan. It's not the best. It works here and there, but it's it's not the best going through it. Um, side to side bike body separation. There's, I feel for me, I feel there's a battle with a conversation about foot position of where people should, should position their feet in there. Um, the side to side that everybody talk about, that everybody talks about is obviously leaning the bike away from the body. You should think about your outside hand crossing in front of your chest. If your outside hand doesn't cross in front of your chest, it means you're leaning. And if you're leaning, you're shifting center of mass off of the point of point of balance as far as reference goes. Uh, if you think, I think of I saw Lee likes bikes talk about this before too. So I'm not gonna plug Lee, but <laughs> he has by far the the last video that he put out with Jay of Joy Likes Bikes or whatever his name is. Yeah. Uh, that's by far one of the best cornering videos out there. I don't like. I the, think that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't like the fact that he said the fact that he says that if you're if you can scallop and work through scalloping, if you're not on the ground, you can't slide out. I think that's you're basically pushing where if you're unwitting and waiting, then you have points that you could slide if you're trying to wait at that point. But he, he talks about his foot position and that movement going through it. Simon Lawton, the fluid ride, talks a little bit about it about dynamic foot position. Um, mm -hmm. The biggest thing to think about is where your weight is. Is it centered over your contact patch? Mm -hmm. Is foot position creating a force that's not appropriate for what you're trying to do? At a high speed, you can totally drop the outside foot, like super high speed. We're talking about what most riders never reach as far as where you're going through. So you'll see all these pro riders go, drop the outside foot, push the inside hand down, and then lean the bike over into the corner. Um, at that point, yeah, at high speed, super, like, we're, like, high, high, high. It gives you the opportunity that you can pull the foot off. So if you ever watch, like, Carver, does that reference make any sense? Chris Kovarik. Okay. Chris Kovarik is known as Carver. You'll see his drifty videos, and he's foot out, flat out, like, foot's out in the front, outside pedals all the way down drifting. Um, it gives you the opportunity to step off the bike. What most people need to think about is maintaining equal, prep, equal pedal pressure. And so... Think of like scale of liberty. You're sitting there, there's balanced weight on either side. 
if you're going through that balanced weight, if one shifts, then more weights move into that one side. And what usually happens is people pull weight to the inside with a foot and it'll pull them out of balance and they'll feel like they have to lean or get crooked going through it. And, and it pulls them inside. If you can weight equally, then you can absorb going through it because the weight's moving up into your body. You're still at what's a level pedal. And I'm totally rambling right now. I, I, no, it's like one, this is one for me is, is like, it's really hard to explain and without a visual. Um, level pedals is, is another valid one, but what's happening is there's equal weight going through it. So to be honest, you're actually dropping the outside foot, but you're still maintaining a level pedal position, which is super confusing for people. But what's happening is the clocking of the pedal changes because it's moving off of the three and nine o'clock position. And so that's where Simon's comment of like dynamic foot movement of moving up and down is correct because as you're leaning the bike, those the pedal itself winds up staying at the same height because they're changing as you go through it. And then yeah, at that yeah. point, it equalizes weight in your feet where that comment earlier about light feet is all your weight should be in your feet. That's what you stand on. Your hands right. are controlling your lean left, your lean right, your forward and back bike body separation, the absorption or rotation around the bottom bracket. And if you aren't balancing your feet, you can't do any of that through a corner. And so what happens is most people get into it. They'll drop the outside foot. They'll push back off the front tire and they'll unweight the front tire. And then the whole thing will push out away from them. And so if you can keep your feet level, weight still is balanced over the pedal position or over the axle uh, bottom bracket so that now weight's equally distributed over your front and rear wheel as best as it can be most likely at a 45% weight on the front and 55% in the rear. And now you can increase forward pressure on the wheel by pushing on your outside hand. If you lean a bike over and you can't put pressure on your outside hand as you lean the bike, your weight's not in, your, your weight's not over the contact, it's inside of the bike or under the bike at that point. And so what I feel is a lot of people that can't get to a high speed, if they drop their outside foot most of the time, they're now creating hand pressure on the inside because you haven't created enough force to push against the body to keep it balanced because there's not enough speed in the in the equation it's basically mm -hmm. physics, and i don't really want to go into physics right now but <laughs> i'm good with the physics we don't need yeah, the physics yeah so if you put pressure on the inside hand and there's not enough weight to hold or if there's not enough centripetal force to pull the hips out of the corner you're putting weight under the bike and it's going to push the front tire out from underneath you um, if Gene watches this, I'm sorry, Gene, don't shoot me, <laughs> but you want to keep equal weight in there so you can create outside hand pressure now, that outside hand pressure isn't weight forward. It's actually pressuring down into it. So you're still maintaining natural body weight over your pedal, uh, axle and bottom bracket, which is equally distributing over front and rear wheel. And now your outside hand pressure is increasing downforce into the front wheel, which is gaining you extra traction over the front. So people will talk about professional racers riding over the front and how they're gambling, rolling the dice with being too far over it. A professional racer isn't gambling with their balance or pressure. They're gambling with the speed that they're riding at. At some point, something's going to give. And if they're going too fast or if something happens too quick for them to react to, then they get tossed. Any professional racer out there is most likely riding in a really, really, really amazing balanced body position. So, yeah. 
uh, Lori Greenland in his like that last one that he did when he talked about revamping his body position, basically mm -hmm. found a balanced body position. So cornering for me is one that's that's sort of abstract. I if you have a question, I'd love to answer it with that one, because I know that was kind of a, a long sort of ramble right there. I don't have a, a very direct question because I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like I know that um, I, I know I'm getting better at it because like I can see it in times. Yeah. And I know that time is either in better breaking or in better cornering. Yeah. Because it has nothing to do with me going through a freaking straight rock section where I'm just smashing the shit out of it like that that i'm not gaining any time there i know yeah. every time i gain time it's i'm how well am i carrying my momentum so that means how well am i breaking right and then um then how well am i cornering because that's again like i'm either carrying that speed through there and then like not being as like physically gassed as i'm going through everything so i can like keep my heart rate down and my breathing good and like then that, like the, that cornering and that breaking it just goes together and i feel like those those runs like on confluence for example whenever i feel really good like i know i've just like i pinned the corners you know like i i, I got them right you know because like I, you said i've had runs before where i go up there like you were talking about jackass i i will freaking pedal my ass off man put a 34 tooth on my my bike so i can just freaking get down right and I'll, I'll be at the bottom, freaking my heart rate's at like 175, you know, like I'm standing there, right? yeah, stand there just freaking trying to like not puke. And I will have another run where I'm like, I don't even give a shit about Strava today. And I get down to the bottom, not even freaking breathing and like get a new PR, yep. you know? Yeah. And that, that's, that's part of it too, is, is that like trying, trying is a, that's a big one, right? Like doing less, just doing is better. You don't want to try. The, the more you try to go fast, the harder it is. And like, that's one thing that I talk with my students with is like, you might feel more balanced. You might feel more aggressive or you might feel the opportunity of being able to do something is I want you to just ride smoother. I don't want you to try to ride faster. And if you can ride smoother, you're going to eventually ride faster. There's a certain point as again, as that, that pro level of like elite level athletes where they're just pushing everything. They're, 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 they're at that point of like, it's either going to work or it's not going to work, you know? Yeah. And you can see that as where they go. And then all of a sudden it's like, they just explode, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's better sometimes to not focus on trying to go faster. It's better to just be like, how, how, like, can I, can I work through this? Can I hold it a little longer and connect into that next one? getting those releases and getting those timings, you know, to come together. Um, timing and coordination, where, where the point of, where the point of exit was to move into that next step. And sometimes if you try to go faster, you wind up and anticipating it or trying to um, move into the next progression quicker, because that's the easiest way to do something faster, right? Is to move to the next step quicker. Yeah. If, you, if you're able to, is, is that, but sometimes you need to allow for that sort of lag or that that sort of pause in a movement so that the next movement after it comes out at a flow point and you can move into that next state without actually forcing yourself into it and then getting hung up by it, you know? So yeah. breaking's a big one, breaking points, all those things. You think cornering again, the best thing for a lot of people is thinking cornering is making sure that uh, 
your your entry exits are appropriate, right? A lot of people will think faster. Okay, I'll enter into the turn faster. I'll exit out faster. Sometimes you can actually slow down more into a corner and decrease entrance speed and still be able to get higher exit speed going out of it. More so effectively when you're pedaling. It's, it's, if you're not pedaling, that yeah. entrance speed is way more dynamic and like yeah. if you if you can get good break points and then enter into a corner and have appropriate speed for that corner and allow for the turn to accelerate you through without a panic then you're gonna you're gonna be the fastest and that's like most pros are thinking about high entrance speed maintenance of speed and then maintaining high exit speed a lot of people will come into a corner and panic because their entrance speed was too high and then they'll break check and then i'll quote gene on this one he calls it a downward spiral of shittiness is that now as soon as you, <laughs> you stand the bike up, which loses your lean angle. And then because you lose your lean angle, you lose your, lose your cornering radius. And then as you lose your cornering radius, you now need to hit the brakes again because you just stood the bike up and now you just, you just spiral out of control in that spot and, yeah. and wind up losing. Yeah. I so. feel like, and that's probably that downward spiral of shittiness is probably something that I end up doing because I, as you were explaining that, I was thinking about there's this one long sweeper at the beginning and it's like kind of gravelly. And that, that one, I always feel like the left-hander. It, yeah. It's really kind of white, right sweep, like right at the very beginning, like right, as soon right, as you drop in and then it fades yeah. into a long left. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. that, that first one is like, it's flat. It's like, you're coming in pretty hot cause you just dropped in. And what I've noticed is that if I pedal too much there, I end up going so fast that I have to break way more. And yep. so that's one of those ones where I have to tell myself, like, don't friggin' pedal here, monkey, you know, like, so that I can actually carry a good speed through that corner and then go like, like so, when I come out of it, then start hammering, you know? Yeah. It's a mix though, is, is that what you want to do is at that point, cue off of a break point. So like find something where you give yourself a window and you're going to sprint to that point and yeah. then hard break within two and a half, three bike lengths, whatever, chill down to that, to that speed. So that's where your, your average speed approaching is high enough. And then you can pop off and, and decrease into that to maintain control or at least your, your highest entrance speed to allow for your best exit speed coming out of it and then go through it. So like I was thinking I either do that or I go out and dig a berm when nobody's paying attention. <laughs> the best thing to do is if you're going to, is you don't make it big, is you just have to know where it is. And you get a small bag of like uh, like concrete and you put just like a four inch where you just like get some stones and just <laughs> fill it in there and put it there. So it's like, it doesn't look like it's much, but it's right. like catch burn. There you go. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah. You've seen that, that video that Fabio Widmer did where he comes uh -huh. through and he berms off of the curb. He comes through and like sets this full like catch berm and he catch berms <laughs> off the curb. That's oh, wow. effectively that's what you're doing. But yeah, the uh, the things that catch people is is, is those is breakpoints going through. You, yeah. you want to like it, the faster you're going, you have to be you have to be fast in the straight line and then you have to be able to manage the turn. The old uh, motocrosses corners are for dough and straights are for show. Like straights are just like whoops. But then yeah. they had like the Red Bull like straight rhythm and you could see is that people could make up time in a straight rhythm when you're going through yeah. it. Um, but like, yeah, cornering, if you can corner well, then you don't have to work as hard going through the straights. The people who can't corner well are going to work far harder in the straights to try to gain what they lost in that section beforehand. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely noticed that whenever um, on the runs when I'm gassed at the bottom. But yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, obviously to get those times you got to pedal, but um, I, I've I've definitely found that you know sometimes when I I must not be pedaling that much when I get to the bottom and I'm like barely breathing, you know, yeah. and or I have like enough energy to get through the flat spot of the Strava run, you know, and, and like just hammer there, you know, yeah. and, and you can make up, you know, five seconds there or 10 seconds there. I don't even know how much seconds, but like, um, so it's interesting. I was going to ask you, we're, we're getting close here. I was going to ask you, what do you like about doing, uh, doing what you're doing? What, what's your, your favorite part of it? Um, not having to do anything else. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> being able to ride my bike and like have it out there. Like, even though I don't get like a lot of time to actually like go ride, ride, you know, like that, that's a hard part. But like every day I go out and like I tell people do drills, do this, do that. Like every time I go out for a coaching session, I effectively get to do drills. And so yeah. like I definitely feel more comfortable and confident with stuff. Um, the hardest thing for me is getting into getting into situations and like not having that like like drive with like riding with pros and like like pushing myself through stuff um uh-huh. that's probably the most challenging uh is is not feeling like confident to do the things like i look back and i'll like get in a situation i'll be like god i don't know about it and then i'll look back at a video like five years ago and it's like me sending it off that jump and i'm like and part of it is mainly is because it's work now is that the risk from injury yeah, is like yeah. so much higher. It's like I can't risk it. And when it wasn't work, when I had other stuff, when I could be like, oh, whatever, I'll just take disability and unemployment. It's like, yeah, you know. And now it's like I want to, I want to be able to provide. I want to be able to provide for the people that invest have invested their, you know, their heart and cash for time with me. And I want to make yeah. sure I can go through that. Um, yeah, adulting sucks. Yeah, life <laughs> is a way of living, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely. Um, I, I think that was one of those things where I, for a long time, I, um, I, I don't think I wanted to get better, you know, and I yep. was totally happy with that. And I think that that's an okay place to be as well. You know, like I still had a lot of fun riding bikes. Yep. I just didn't do it any faster and any harder than, than what I was comfortable with. Yeah. But um, for whatever reason, and I think this is part of it for me, I separated my shoulder, like, I don't know how many years ago, like, you know how guys are, we're bad with time. Like yep. if I say two years, it was probably 10, you know, if I say 10, it might've been, I don't know. A few yep. years back, I, I separated my shoulder. And I think that really, it changed my way of riding like dramatically because I had a, a, a fork failure that, that made it happen. Yep. So I always rode and I was like, dude, I'm confident in my riding. I know where I'm like, where I can keep it on this side of the too far of like yep. pushing my skill set. And that was the first time where it was like, oh, well, something can fail that you're not in control of at all. And and you could be fucked, you know? Yeah. And uh, for a long time that I think kept me from like, I don't wanna, I didn't wanna have another instance where I couldn't ride my bike for six months. Yep. Cause it's like my therapist, you know? And- um, Western meditation. Yeah, you know, for whatever reason this last year though, I, I was finally like, man, you used to hit all this stuff when you were younger. And obviously I'm not going to go into it. Like, like, like I did when I was 20, you know, or 18 or whatever, 15. Um, but come on, dude, you can do this stuff. And like, you know, and, and uh, 
I will say, I, I won't, I, I mean, I can't say it's more fun, but maybe it feels that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, when, when you have the stoke, stoke basically creates it. Like it, it's, yeah. it's fun. It is more fun. You know, my, uh, I had exactly the same thing happen to me. I was riding Auburn coming down and I was going into, um, what's the, what's the DH East? Is it East? East side. East side. I was going yeah. into the DH on East side and I was coming off of the upper part of the forest Hill loop going through. And, and there's that sort of road that comes down to the parking lot. Yeah. Cause I, I basically missed the entrance to East side cause I went low instead of staying high coming out of it. And I came through that section and separated the, uh, the lug on my drive side chain stay and then snapped my non-drive chain stay and the full bike just swapped underneath me and I just drove my shoulder into the ground at yeah, 23, yeah. 28 miles an hour and yeah, separated, separated that one. Yeah, I got one of those good little humps over yeah. here too. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, another, it was like, it wasn't anything I did. It was just full bike failure, like just yeah. like catastrophic failure. That's it, you're done. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I jumped back on, went straight to it. I was coaching in four weeks in, uh, in demo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's hard to jump. It's hard to jump out of crashes like that. I, my main, my only major major injury was a broken jaw uh, that I did in Austin, Nevada. I uh, was out there way back, middle of nowhere, way back. DH race they used to have out there, which was super super sick. Um, but uh, there was this big ass jump at the bottom of it, and at the speeds we were hitting it. It wasn't designed for that. So like how you would pop off of it, you'd have to like squash it. And I was like, I was so disappointed that I couldn't like, I kept like knuckling it and like not quite feeling like I was getting backside out of it. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to let it go a little bit. And I popped it and I woke up with helicopter blades. I was like, oh, oh, cool. Check this out. I'm like, great. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I had fractured, fully crushed my full face, gave myself this little dimple on my chin that gives me this little funny. Do you remember the the slime advertisement? Way back no, in writing, the slime guy used to have this funny chin. I used to draw it all the time, and I think it's super ironic. Is I wound up with the same like angular chin that he has. Like, oh, that's I funny. Like, I drew it forever. Like it was like the one thing I was like, oh, this is so awesome. But um, yeah, I went back and I was riding North Star in a half lid like four and a half weeks after breaking my jaw, and I was just yeah. like, you just gotta jump back on it. That's yeah. the hardest thing about injuries is that self doubt is yeah. getting. Shit happens, unfortunately, and you have to be aware of what you're doing. And as you yeah, said, it's yeah. like you understood your limit. You understood where you were. You have to maintain this. You have to maintain a stasis where your rider image and your rider ability need to be matched. If you start riding above your rider ability and you have a higher rider image, you're not going to have a good time. And so yeah. that's effectively what I'm trying to do with people is give them a rider image and a rider ability that can be balanced and to hopefully allow them to spend less time getting injured, you know, and, and understanding what's happening if they do run into a crash or, and hopefully they're able to react to it smoother, faster, you know, and, and, and work through it. So, yeah. So what's the best way for people to, to, to hook up and um, just go to your website? Do you have like a, a, contact form on there or just like yeah, there's, a, there's a contact form there's a silly little pop-up oh thank you for visiting sign uh-huh. up to emailer um phone calls emails um addresses are on there they all come through um fake book instagram 
Yeah. Whichever. Right I'm, not, uh, I'm not a YouTuber. So like I've gone through and checked my YouTube videos. I'm like, oh, that's that comment should have been responded to two and a half weeks ago. So, uh, as a, as I mean, as my business is coaching, I don't spend a lot of time in those. Um, but yeah, email's the best, uh, a single track for more information. Uh, Dylan at a single track mind, Amy at a single track mind. That's my wife. And thankfully I have somebody that can manage for me and I appreciate her and I appreciate her being a mother to my great family. All right. Um, happy father's day, dude. Happy Father's Day, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, thanks for spending yeah. your time out here with me, drinking yeah, beers in the garage, right? <laughs> it's what I would do anyways, and it's like the one day that I actually get like, I can actually like do it without having somebody be like, "Is that all you're gonna do today?" And it's like, <laughs> Come on, it's Father's Day. what the fuck else am I gonna do? Right, <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And it was awesome, awesome to be able to spend time with you. And um, yeah, dude, I'd love to someday check out your trail. Give yeah. you input or say, yeah, high five. That's awesome. And oh, uh, believe me, dude, yeah. if you want to come down this way, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll head up with you. I rode there today, though, yeah. and it is freaking hot as balls down here right now. Yeah, it totally. is not a good idea. Yeah. So if you're busy until like November when it starts raining, that'd probably be great. Yeah. <laughs> I joke is that it's called swalls. Yeah. Swalls. Sweaty balls is swalls. It's swalls hot. <laughs> It's definitely swells hot. Yeah. yeah. It is rough yeah. today. It was one of those days where you're like, why am I even out here? Like, yeah. really? Like, I should be, I should have drank more last night. So I was like so hungover, I wouldn't go out today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those where it's either you got to like, you got to dark, oh, dark 30 and like jump out yeah. and like throw the lights on for the pedal approach and then come back. I was out yeah. in Fallon, Fallon, Nevada on uh, Friday doing a photo shoot for uh, Great Basin Brewery. And we wrapped up at eight o'clock and I got in my car and it was 86 degrees, dude. Oh, wow. Like we started at 5.30, I left at, at eight o'clock and it was literally 86 degrees at that point in time. It was just like, oh my God, I couldn't imagine what it was gonna be after that. Like yeah, I grew up yeah. in the foothills and like heat doesn't really bother me. I'm like, yeah, this is uncomfortable. More for me is, is like, I know that other people can't deal with it. I'm like, Ooh, this is probably bad. And I forget yeah. that sometimes. And it's like trying to manage people while you're coaching is like, just because you're happy doesn't mean they're happy. Yeah. I'm not too bad with heat. I, I I'm more of a, like, I I'm horrible at being cold. Like yeah. I turn into like hundred percent bitch as soon as I get cold, yeah, but yeah. Uh, heat, I'm not too bad with as long as I have water though. That's the thing is like, if I run out of water in the middle of a ride, I freaking, I lose my shit. I start yeah. like, the anxiety monster just comes in with like a whole freaking boatload of whatever he does, you know? Just, yeah. Oh. Throws it, throws it down heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, do you watch YouTube much? Like I do. Yeah. yeah. So I always ask people at the end of the show and it doesn't matter if it's like mountain bike related or not. I always ask people what they watch on YouTube because it's interesting to find new channels. And, uh, yeah. so is there, what, what are you into? Ridiculousness. Ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I've don't they have a show, a TV show though? It's a TV show, Rob Deerdick and yeah, Chanel yeah, I've seen that TV show. Yeah, so they have a YouTube channel too. They just put all their videos on YouTube. Whatever. Uh, okay, I'll have to check I, it I, out. I'll then. spend I'll spend so much time watching that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll go through it. Like as a coach, I basically watch every other coach's videos as I go through. So I'll watch X writer X, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> but I'll watch I'll watch Joy Bike. I'll watch uh, Phil you know, Phil commits skills with Phil. I'll watch burn yeah. Pete. I'll watch, um, Kyle and April. 
uh, go yeah, through. Kyle's really good. I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's 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 cool. He's not a coach. I'm gonna say no, no. like he's a really good writer, and like his understanding of it works. But he's a pro, and like the shit that he can do is is a lot of it is just that training. Um, yeah. He's he's good. I I think it's funny is is that for a for me a lot of a lot of the clientele will see that and they'll be like, oh my god, it's so amazing. I'm like, April is an actor. Yeah. That, like, yeah. She's a, well, she's she's a, I had them on the show too. And a lot of people don't know. She was like, like a moto person, like doing like huge, crazy jumps on a motorcycle. It's not like she's going out there and doing this road gap and she never rode fucking mountain bike before, you know, like she hasn't ridden mountain bikes and I get it. Like there are, there are differences, but there's like, if you have the muscle coordination to be able to ride a motorcycle, like, yeah, but I I love it. I love it because people are stoked and they get it. Yeah, no, they're um, killing other, it. They're definitely killing it. Yeah, my other favorite is this lady from Mallorca named Roxy. Um, uh-huh. She's a she's an IMBA instructor, ICP three. I should uh-huh. have said that earlier, but like I have a I have a level three. There's only like 35 people in the world that have a level three. Um, she's one of their instructors. She's super good for female riders. Like she's super. She's not intimidating. She just breaks it down. She just talks about how it is. And what's I, the I name of her? Roxy ride and inspire. Roxy Rodnick, but I have to tell the lady. She yeah, because uh, she she says to me, um, you know, sometimes it somebody can be a really good coach, but they just don't speak in the language that you hear. Yeah. So it's good to like listen to different people because sometimes somebody will explain something in a way, like you said earlier, where it just clicks to you. Yeah. You know, and and maybe the one guy explains it, you know way a and you use way c and way c is the only way that person gets it and you guys are all saying the same thing but yeah i i think it's funny is is that mountain biking i joke is that mountain biking is one of those sports where there's always a never but there's never an always wait Mm -hmm. wait let me see if i said that right there's never an always but there's always a never so you can't always do one thing to have it correct but there's one thing that definitely you cannot do in situations and that's the hardest part is that there's so many variables like you were talking about earlier it's like there's like 75 things that you're trying to get through and that's that's the problem is that like you can have somebody say something as long as as long as you're moving through correctly it works and like as far as my instruction goes is i try to get people to um i try to get people to understand what the movement is and understand where the balance is and as long as you can create it in a similar pattern or a similar path that you're along the right lines. My effective thing is, is that if somebody's telling you to move out of balance, it's probably wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. But like, yeah, there's, there's more than one way <laughs> to skin a cat. <laughs> right on, dude. Well, dude, it's been awesome sitting out here chatting with you. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time. And uh, hopefully any of you guys that have been listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube, go check out his website, A Single Track Mind. He also has an Instagram and a Facebook and a Twitter um, and a YouTube channel. But I don't think you have a whole lot up there on the YouTube channel, though, right? No. Uh, I, uh, I had a video in 2009 that had 21,000 views on it. There you go. So still riding that video from 2009. But if you want to see the, the current stuff, definitely his Instagram account is active. I was over there checking that out. Good stuff over yep. there. And uh, a lot of stuff going on. If you're a Northern California person, there's a lot of stuff going on at 
there's a, a like a calendar listing on there. It shows all the all the different classes that he has coming up or clinics. I'm sorry, I'm using wrong vernacular again. So, anyways, Dylan, dude, it was great chatting with you. All you guys out there, I want you guys to remember one thing. If that's the only thing that you get out of this, it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one.